Hi everyone, it's David here. And before we get into this week's episode of the podcast, I wanted to highlight that we recorded this episode and some of the later episodes that you'll hear in this series before the coronavirus situation escalated. It's a worrying and uncertain time for all of us. So I just wanted to recognise that and say to each and every listener, stay well, stay healthy and try to keep positive. We'll keep making the show, if we can, throughout the crisis as it unfurls. I hope it provides some respite albeit brief from the situation. Okay, on with the show. Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode three of series seven of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. The field of people analytics made significant progress in the last five years and was recently recognized by LinkedIn in its global talent trend report as one of four key trends reshaping the way organizations recruit and retain its people. Whilst people analytics has traveled far, it still has a long way to go. Challenges abound on topics like ethics, upskilling HR, and scaling people analytics across the organization. My guest today agrees. As founder and CEO of Cruncher, Dirk Yonker has been working in the people analytics field for more than a decade and has helped numerous clients to build, operationalize, and scale people analytics in their companies. In our conversation, Dirk and I will discuss why people analytics needs to behave more like a startup, We'll talk about how to bring people analytics to scale. And we'll look at some of the key considerations for organizations that are looking to build their own technology to aggregate and visualize people data. We'll also look at why many organizations' approach to upskilling HR is doomed to failure. And finally, as with all our guests in Series 7, we'll look at whether AI and automation is a threat or an opportunity for HR. This episode is a must-listen for anyone in a workforce or people analytics role, those involved in buying or developing HR technology in their organizations, and any HR or business professional seeking to understand more about the people analytics field. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 7 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Cruncher is a self-service solution for workforce reporting, people analytics, and workforce planning. The best thing about Cruncher? It's simple. The solution is designed to guide HR professionals through their data to discover the real story. Cruncher works in over 35 countries worldwide with large companies that typically have more than 20,000 employees. Learn more about guided people analytics and their unique adoption strategies at cruncherapps.com. That's crunch, letter R, apps, all one word, dot com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Dirk Yonker, the founder and CEO of Cruncher to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Great to have you, Dirk. Thanks for having me. Would you like to just give a quick, listeners a quick introduction to yourself and your background? Sure. So, uh, well, I'm Dirk. I'm uh, super fanatic about people analytics, and this started uh, for me 15 years ago. Uh, I used to work as a consulting actuary, and uh, most of my colleagues ended up in uh, insurance companies or uh, retirement funds. But uh, if you really look at the core of what an actuary does, it's basically translating uncertain business scenarios into uh, data and insights today to make really big decisions. And uh, that is really what I loved. And uh, I started to become really curious to see if you could use the same elegant mathematics on the data that companies already sit on to give HR the opportunity to influence business success way beyond their HR function. So basically, this was my dream. And uh, I took two suitcases, went off to New York with a one-way ticket, and uh, learned that from the best people on how to basically do business restructuring, business optimization, and constantly saw the link between we have here the people data, the business data, 
elegant mathematics and how can we use this to make impact. So um, on the personal side, it went also well. So I met my wife there, got twins, and then uh, moved back to, uh, to Amsterdam, where I'm originally from, as you can hear by the accent, maybe. So I think we probably yeah. both agree that doing analytics on people data is probably a bit more interesting than doing it on insurance data and financial data. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the <laughs> concepts are the same. Um, uh, but um, I really find a lot of joy in, uh, in using exactly the same type of mathematics and, and use it on different, uh, different new fields. Well, we both, as you said, you've been in the space for a while now. We've both been in space for quite a while. And my sense is that people analytics has come a long way. Um, but as we were talking about when we were prepping for this last week, we still both feel it's got, got a long way to go. You know, what's your view on the state of people analytics today? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we've come a long way. Um, I mean, every week there is an HR analytics conference uh, somewhere out in the world. At universities, you can do now uh, fantastic education. Um, and we've seen fantastic examples in the world. Uh, also, thanks to you as a, as a rainmaker, basically, in uh, HR analytics. Oh, um, <laughs> it is true. but. Um, I also feel that we're getting a bit stuck, uh, that we jump from hype to hype. Um, so uh, we, we just talked about the uh, HR tech conferences, uh, basically, that uh, we've been doing for the last seven years. Um, seven years ago, it was all about, hey, what do you do? This sounds interesting. The next year, it was about, hey, how do you go beyond reporting? What kind of dashboarding do you provide? Then suddenly, it was the age of AI. What do you do with machine learning? Um, now, it's all about ONA. Uh, so we jump from hype to hype. But basically, uh, we forget one important thing, and that is basically to show return on investments. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, that we're, we're certainly seeing some of the work that we're doing, that more and more organizations, as they reach a certain level of maturity, they actually start thinking, how do we turn some of this work that we're doing, and actually, do we get tangible business outcomes from it? And, uh, and I think if there is a big place for people analytics to learn, it's probably, that, it's probably there, I think. Yeah, totally agreed. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, the whole uh, projects that everybody did are super useful because yeah. it showed the potential. Um, but uh, maybe we can make a comparison to, to you know, startups, how they build. Uh, they also have an idea. They do some prototyping. And then there comes a moment, you know, when they decide either we're going to do this for real or we're going to, you know, close this project and move to something else. We pivot. Um, so I feel that this is really the time for HR to say, well, thank you very much, HR leadership, for the seed investment. We built a team of five, six people. We had the opportunity to do fantastic projects. But now, and, and we demonstrated basically potential, but now it is time to reconsider how the target interaction model is going to be. Yeah. Um, and, and that's important. And that is really why I see companies struggling with. And I think the, the, we all know there's companies out there that are kind of leading the way on people analytics and maybe what they've done differently to those that are still, as you said, around five or six people, um, they have actually demonstrated that value. They've got more investment and they demonstrate even more value and get more investment. It's cyclical, I guess. So we see yeah. companies obviously like Microsoft, like IBM, uh, like some of the big banks who've got reasonably large teams now mm -hmm. um, and they're able to scale what they effectively are doing. So as you said, it's kind of moving from that kind of project mentality to a product mentality. Yeah, exactly. But even very big financial institutions, uh, they, they, they run into uh, challenges. Um, and uh, let's compare this uh, to building a, a product because that's basically what they do, right? You, you go from project to product yeah. to, to really get skill in the organization. So um, they get investments because they focus on very interesting uh, projects that, that generate business value, 
But then the question is basically how to really scale. Because even though you have like 10 or 15 or maybe even 20 people, the impact that you can make without proper product or technology is just those 15 people times eight hours in a day times 260 working days in a year. So the question is how to scale this to the broad field HR to make this accessible. And uh, and there I see that even large financial organizations are struggling. Why? Um, maybe compare this to the to wobbling stones. You know, uh, we're at the beach. Uh, we both have uh, kids. Um, and uh, the thing that kids do is they take stones and put another stone and put another stone and another stone. And they make these beautiful architectural structures. Um, this is what HR does exactly the same. So they have payroll, another payroll, another payroll. They put a uh, workday or success factors or whatever on top. Then uh, they feel that uh, they need some kind of reporting mechanism because they want to generate value. So they put a data extraction layer. Um, then they put a database. Then they put a uh, another tool for, um, I don't know, a BI tool yeah. uh, to generate insights. Then there is another tool on top, which basically helps to uh, analyze this data a bit deeper. So from dashboarding to analysis. And this starts to wobble a bit. Yeah. And the more pressure we put on top of this top stone, the more people we land in people analytics, the more people we give access to this, the more interesting the data get, it starts to break down. And this is exactly what I've seen in the last three months with two very major firms. Yeah. So it is time to reconsider and rethink how we do people analytics. Okay. And how would you, what would be your tips around how you would rethink doing people analytics? All right. So the first thing, um, uh, Mercer uh, wrote a beautiful article which says, Tim before Tom. And it's target interaction, uh, target interactive model before yeah. target operating model. So why is this? Um, first, we need to rethink on how and who are basically going to use the people insights that people analytics generates in three or four years from now. Uh, to me, it's basically the managers. Why managers? Well, because they manage teams, yeah. so they need to have very simple, actionable insights. It's the managers of managers. They don't need to see all the employee details, but they want to see the people performance of their managers to coach yeah. them. Um, it is, um, so So for that, we need to have some kind of infrastructure um, to talk to these managers, to get feedback, uh, to reinforce learning, basically. So if this is the case, if we really want to push it way beyond HR, then we need to think back on what do we need today and what do we need to build today. Yeah. And in product, we call it refactoring. We do that every year. So every year we break down what we build at Cruncher and we rebuild it um, for speed, for stability. We test everything. And that is the same product mindset as what people analytics need to be. So this starts really, uh, if we look at the tech stack, basically at its core, like, hey, we need a really fast database. Why fast database? What we're fighting as computer scientists call it the big O. The big O means it is some kind of um, order of complexity. Yeah. Um, if you do a very simple regression analysis or you just want to have turnover by function over over the course of three, four years, that's expensive. It becomes even more expensive if you also want to do this by age, by gender, etc. So you need to have very strict and a very stable architecture at its core. Then you need a very fast layer on top to uh, access this data in a very consistent way to harmonize definitions, etc. Then on top, we have the authorizations um, because, um, you know, the GDPR police comes every now and then and they say, hey, you know, this HR person left the building. Um, what did this person do for the last five years? Yeah. Um, so you really need to think product, basically, to bring this to scale. Um, so that's one thing, product. 
um, I always like to talk about tech and touch. Yeah. Um, because it's not only technology or not only product, but it's also the touch. You can have great insights, but if you don't know how to do what to do with it, then you may still make no impact. So it is about educating basically the end user on how to use this. Not how it works, but how to use it. Yeah. And this is very important. So again, think about the target interaction model. Then plan back on what kind of infrastructure I need. And again, the wobbly stones don't work anymore. They're too slow. You cannot authorize. And um, It's a risk. It's a super risk. Yeah. I mean, again, these two big companies, I mean, their reporting broke down. And they cannot trace back anymore what went wrong. It was untested. And they discovered that they were sending wrong, wrong results to the business. Yeah, not good for reputation. It is not. Other it is not. But yeah. um, it's a consequence of just adding on top, on top, yeah. on top, on top, on top, and moving from one hype to the other. Yeah. We need to refactor our thoughts and think future. So you see, it's more like is I mean to to to, to summarize. Where you're thinking about think about the user. Yeah. Think about the user in the business, whether it's a manager, a manager of manager, or potentially even the employees themselves. Exactly. Some data, so they yeah. get get return they get they get some insight from get providing their data um, and certainly i'm seeing more and more people analytics teams now adding almost ux people within the within the team um, not for some of the products that they're developing but also some of the third party products that they that they're bringing in as well totally. because as you said it's not just about giving it to, to business partners um, it's about actually democratizing that data and giving it to the business and then allowing managers to to take action on it exactly exactly um, we did quite some research um, two years ago on uh, what is actually going on right now. Because um, on one hand, you know, we have tons of HR processes that are um, managed in systems. They generate a lot of data and we have beautiful BI tooling, generic. And on the other hand, we have the business uh, where they create value, drive change, and etc. And if you have all these insights, why doesn't HR still have this seat at the table? You know, this horrendous discussion that has been going on for already 20 years. Yeah. So something in the middle is missing. And what we felt was missing was basically that HR, I mean, you see a dashboard, but if you don't trust the underlying numbers, if you cannot play with these data to, to really make it real, then you will never use it. So this is a concept that we started to call guided analytics like yeah. two years ago, where basically the first thing is to build trust and love with your data. Um, I see a turnover of top potential turnover of 12.6% in a certain business unit. Hmm. Could be right, could be wrong. Who are those people? Click, boom, you see the names. Then you want to have it as some kind of Rubik's Cube, right? To see, to see multiple perspectives of these uh, uh, data points. And that leads basically to stories. These stories lead to interactions between managers, HR, and employees, and eventually that drives change. So, and that is exactly, I think, why we also see a lot of indeed UI experts entering HR, we see a lot of DevOps entering HR, basically to manage the infrastructure that yep. runs all these models. So the prototyping is done, the great potential showing is done, uh, check in the box, HR did fantastic work, but now it's really time to move on. And it's, I think as you said really, it's about, you know, it's about giving people the data and actually not just giving people the data, but almost guide, as you say, guiding them on what they should do with it. What is the data telling me and what is the action I can take and what is the outcome that's going to result from that? And almost feeding it to managers exactly. rather than just expecting them to come to the conclusion themselves. Exactly. It's about injecting these data points right into the workflow where they need it and keep it super simple. 
I mean, uh, I see that you wear an, uh, a, a watch, basically as a step counter. Um, HR would say, um, you know, walking is really good. You need to walk 10 kilometers per day. Great. But here in the UK, you know, it's 6.21 miles per day. Well, forget all of these definitions. You need to walk 10,000 steps per day. Yeah. And it keeps the doctor away. You know, it's, it's a little story that will stick in your mind and you will never forget. So we need to make things simple. We're overcomplicating things. A beautiful dashboard can just be, you know, three metrics that matter. Yeah. Um, Rather so, than 30 that don't. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so it's much more than this elegant mathematics, which of course drove a lot of out of the possible. But now we need to quickly add different perspectives to build a product and to make it scalable. So one of the big themes, I think, around HR at the moment is this whole process of upskilling. I think we realize that, that HR needs to become more data literate and more, more digital. When we were talking last week, you had an interesting view that you think a lot of organizations are approaching upskilling in the wrong way. You know, what are they getting wrong and, and what should they do instead? Okay, so what I think is that there is a big need for upskilling because most of the technology and most of the dashboards and the insight that we're pushing are way too complex. Yeah. So um, uh, my mother has a MacBook. My mother has, a, again, this Apple Watch. She never had any training because it's simple. Yeah. Um, the second thing is that I think that most HR people are interested about people analytics. They just want to learn a bit the, the narrative. But they did not choose the HR profession to become data professionals. Um, and uh, as we mentioned before, the tech and touch, you need the technology to help you to prioritize the actions, but the touch, basically the, the human interaction to drive change. Um, the latter is why most people chose the profession of HR. Yeah. So technology needs to empower this interaction, but not change people into a way that they, they don't want to become. Yeah. So um, upskilling is needed now because... Um, I think the technology and, uh, and the dashboarding is too, too complex. Yeah, so make it less complex, make it easy to use, and actually, I think, get over this kind of misnomer that all HR people need to become analysts, because they clearly don't. Exactly. Um, there's, there's people that, with those skills that can do that. It's almost that how can they take this data and how can it help them have better conversations with the people they're dealing with in the business or, or with employees? Um, how can they almost become translators? I think we talked about this a, a bit last week. I mean, mm -hmm. Are you seeing more and more organizations kind of working out how they can make more of their HR professionals translators so they can take the data and have the conversations? Uh, yeah, but I also think that that is a very intermediate step because that's just another hype. So um, also this translation is, is needed because the technology doesn't help us yet yeah. um, to take the final step. So... If we really dream like 10 years ahead, right? So how do I think the target interaction model should be or could be? Um, that is basically that the, um, that the HR professional has an app and it's basically uh, being dispatched by some kind of, um, well, um, center of expertise. Like, uh, hey, David, we need to go to this, uh, to this unit because engagement is dropping, turnover yep. is picking up. This is hurting the business. Um, please go check it out. Talk to some people. By the way, talk to these people. And we think that these might be the reasons. You have the human conversation and you feedback basically the intelligence back to the system. Good. So here we don't need to talk about translations. It's just about how to use these insights yeah. in order to have a conversation. When you go to Japan and you hire a car and you rent a car, then there's also no manual basically like here's the ignition, here's the poke, here's the what. No, it's just 
three steps to start the car. Click, 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 and off you go. You need to think way simpler. Yeah, I think even I could drive that car, <laughs> perhaps. So in our work at Insight22, we're working with a lot of organizations now who have people analytics teams or, or, or are, trying to, and are trying to grow those people analytics teams further. One of the questions we get asked a lot is around technology. Should we build technology or should we buy technology, particularly in the data aggregation or visualization space? Mm -hmm. you know, as someone who's been building technology in this area for, for over six years, I think it'd be really interesting you know, to get your advice to those companies that, who are thinking of building and what approach they should consider. Yeah. So my advice would be always start with building something yourself uh, because what you need is philosophy. You need to fast iterate to see what the business needs. Yeah. Um, maybe you want to try a, a smaller dashboard uh, to put it in front of managers like, hey, is this actually interesting to you? Would you actually use it? Um, and as you start to add more features, basically uh, use its analytics uh, to this, like are people actually using it? Are they logging in? Um, then it's time basically to round up this MVP phase and reconsider the tech stack for the next three years. Yeah. So if your ambition really is in the next three years to onboard loads of managers um, uh, or to maybe even open it up to all the HR professionals in the field, then you need to think product and you really need to think about um, what are the external requirements on authorization, uh, GDPR, anonymization of levers, etc. Um, what are the types of questions that uh, our users are going to ask and what kind of techniques are needed for that, how much computing power is needed. Yeah. And that basically describes the, uh, the functional requirements. And then if you have a lot of developers available and DevOps, etc., then um, you can always build it yourself. But um, what we have seen um, is that even though you have very big teams um, in HR, you're always dependent on IT. Uh, typically, HR doesn't get too much um, a priority with IT. Um, and this is when, um, you know, you, you die basically of your own success. So, and this is really where most companies are at right now. They have shown success, they get traction, but they still are stuck with the, the um, HRIS, data extraction, database, visualization, et cetera. The stones again. The stones, yeah. yeah. And, and that doesn't scale. So there comes a moment where you need to reconsider. And... Um, then some people say like, well, this dashboard, uh, this is also something we can build. Yeah, I can also build the front end of the Google search engine, right? Yeah. <laughs> we do that together in, in two hours. But what is behind and what is really needed to scale, um, that is quite difficult. It took us more than 150 million years to yeah. build what we currently have. And I, I suppose what happens as well when you get to a certain size, the, the amount of time that takes get taken up with doing this and maintaining it and continuing exactly. versus what you could be doing instead. Yes. Whereas, and I, I guess you've worked with, with companies who've done exactly that, created that MVP, and then you've helped them get to the next level, the scaling level, by, by bringing Cruncher on board. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, uh, and, and those are the best collaborations, basically. Yeah. yeah, because you've got that knowledge there, the team there, the desire there. They've already tested that desire within the business as exactly. well for, for having products like this. Exactly. Rather than just trying to get budget at the start, which, as you, you know, as you've alluded to, is very difficult. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, can you share an example of a client that you've worked with who who has built their own technology and then kind of not necessarily changed their minds, but realizes that to get to the next level, they they decided to partner with Cruncher. Yeah. So I think uh, about eighty percent of our clients um, they are global companies, um, thirty, forty thousand uh, employees and up. Um, so let me just call out one because I'm really proud of this collaboration. It's Axonoble. 
Yep. Um, they're around the world and they did a phenomenal job um, by not only focusing on the technology, but also a lot on the touch. Um, so um, end result, hundreds of HR professionals are now using, uh, using the product basically uh, on a very frequent basis and uh, the engagement is picking up. Most of our clients are renewing the contracts, are doubling the contracts. And, and this is really the, um, the proof basically yes. that it starts to work. Um, but again, I do believe that companies need to start building something themselves. I'm also really passionate for uh, bigger companies that think they will build themselves further uh, to help them. Um, we, we, we talk a lot on, uh, on meetups to basically give tips and give advice. Um, but um, again, it took 150 men years yeah. and, and women years to, to, to build what we currently have. And um, the typical company doesn't have, you know, 50 developers at their disposal for, for three years. Neither does the business want to wait. So part of your philosophy really is to help enable the community um, by sharing. And then you're there if they need you at some point down the line. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I teach uh, people analytics at, uh, at a couple of universities, which I really, really enjoy. I, uh, I speak a lot for leadership teams yeah. uh, to inspire them on, on, on the art of the possible, but also bring them back to, hey, you've got to show ROI right now and make a plan. Um, that's really what I like to do. And I think that's good. One thing I've noticed about the people analytics space all the years I've been in it, it is naturally quite collaborative. People are curious and they want to learn. At whatever stage of the people analytics journey they're on as individuals or their organizations are, and they want to share and they want, you know, and, and actually, you know, with the 150 man years that you've actually spent building this product, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can share, um, I should think helps people. So, yeah, I think that's very good you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's also the belief that, uh, you know, we need to create this open ecosystem. Um, since we are a data aggregator and, and um, analysis and, uh, and reporting on top, um, we need to collaborate. So, um, and, and, and our whole philosophy around people analytics is to show the bigger picture, basically, to, uh, to our end users. So, even though you're working in recruiting, uh, you need to know what the people want, for whom you are actually optimizing, what is the impact of your recruiting efforts, are these people saying, what is the quality of hire? Yeah. Uh, so, we need to collaborate um, with the data creators and, um, and, and also with a lot of universities because a lot of research, very fundamental research in computer science is happening right there. Yeah, yep. we need this power. Yeah. So are there any other examples of how Cruncher has helped? We talked a lot about bringing people analysis to scale. Have you got any other examples of how Cruncher has helped your clients to do that? Sure. Um, so um, one of the big themes uh, nowadays is, uh, you know, employee experience, it's future of work. So let me give you two very small examples uh, in, okay. in either space. So I really like the whole discussion around employee experience, but I think we're missing a really important element. Uh, we try to do employee experience analytics based on the data that we currently have in HRS systems. Uh, well, this shows the, the behavior, but we're missing the biggest part. What do people really want in their work and their career? So we developed a, a little game uh, to measure this. Um, this is what we have deployed already more than 200 times uh, for big companies around the world. And it's asking one simple question in a drag and drop ball sort game. What is most important to you in your work and your career? And now we use this uh, together with extremely elegant mathematics to basically build personas and to build an employee value proposition for total rewards, for recruiting, yep. for employee branding, to attract those people that you need to have to win tomorrow. 
Um, and you segment that by job role or seniority and stuff like that, can you? We could. Yeah. Um, but we also take a completely different approach. That we say, okay, we, we can show how people are different. We, we can also show basically how people are the same. And this is where we use cluster analysis, basically to segment people by groups or yep. what they find important. And uh, that become basically the personas that HR works with. Okay, um, And that basically uh, resulted uh, on average in a 22% higher return on investment on the annual total reward budget. So we're not spending money anymore to items that people don't really value. Um, the whole future of work um, is also big. So we mentioned financial institutions. Uh, there's a lot of uh, compliance work coming uh, their way uh, with customer due diligence, uh, really struggling. And um, also there again, we, we almost gamified the way how to do workforce planning and uh, to make it accessible for people. Yeah, uh, We can talk a lot. I mean, I'm sure we can talk for, for ages, uh, including uh, Ian, um, you know, on, on, on what kind of mathematics we can use and whatever. But that's a useless discussion. We need to open it up to basically all the field HR and make it accessible to them. Yeah. So uh, there we basically use government agencies. We use big banks and um, used uh, driver trees basically to, to start speaking business language and connecting again to, to the data in Workday and, and whatever to build the plans and to, uh, to basically show what's going on. So let's look ahead. You know, we're, we're in a new decade now. And the, the, the field, as we talked about right at the start, is moving really fast. And, you know, what excites you most about people analytics and, and what are your biggest concerns? What excites me most is that uh, everybody is talking about people analytics. And we have about a thousand very highly skilled professionals around the world that are doing projects and are open to share. Um, my biggest concern with people analytics is that we don't get out of this MVP phase and that the business leaders with the next recession are going to say, Okay, so what was the real return on investment? Um, how much are you spending in people analytics with all those conferences and all those people that you're hiring? Mm, maybe we should bring that a bit down. So we are at a really critical point right now that we need to show value and bring it to production. Um, so stop talking about uh, new hypes, um, make it real. Yeah, yeah I, think that's, I think that's fair. I think we see with a lot of organizations that sometimes there's too much focus on, you know, getting the right skills in the team, the right data and everything else. And there's been more focus on what are the problems that we're trying to solve for the business yeah. and how do we measure the impact of our insights and our interventions. And that would then answer that question that when the next recession comes, people say, well, we need, we actually need more people. Exactly. Rather exactly. Than less. Yeah. Everything that we need to do needs to have a direct line of sight with business outcomes. Yeah. And if we make sure that, then, then, we're then we should be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this leads on to the question that we're currently asking all the guests on the show. Um, you know, AI and automation, um, do you see them as an opportunity or a threat to HR? And, in, and then when, in your answer, you know, describe the opportunities and any threats that you see as well. I mean, it's probably, there's some similarities on some of the stuff we've covered. But. Yeah, yeah, a, a big question. So let me try to be concise. Yeah, yeah, it's a big um, question. I think it's um, uh, by no doubt AI and technology will definitely change the way how HR works. Uh, some people might be scared uh, for the change, but uh, we will definitely overcome. It will bring so much uh, to HR that, uh, that the benefits will be uh, amazing. Uh, I mean, um, we both have uh, phones. Uh, there is an, a junk mail folder on there. Uh, in the beginning, you know, when Microsoft said, uh, hey, we're going to scan your emails and we're going to put some in a junk folder, we were like, oh, that's scary because maybe... 
uh, you know, good emails end up in the junk mail. Well, you take that as granted, you know, uh, because it gives so much convenience. Yeah. Uh, and whenever now you lose an email, oh, you check your junk every now and then. That's okay. So we accept it. Um, but we keep talking about everything that can go wrong. So let's get over that. Let's look at the business value that we create. Um, the second thing is that um, we still talk a lot about math. Uh, and we talk, uh, still talk about very specific topics while we need to grow everything in balance. Uh, so let me give an, a, a quick example. Uh, some companies are really stuck in this data, dis uh, data discussion. Uh, we cannot do anything else because our data is not good. Well, that's a chicken and the egg, you know. Yeah. If you don't show how bad the data is or what you can do with the data, the data will never improve. And to be honest, the data will never be perfect. No. Um, we can hire fantastic data scientists, but if your data is not up to par and they still need to do a lot of data engineering, you will get them on board, excite them for three months, and then they will leave. Yeah. So we need to grow everything in balance. Um, so tons of opportunities, but HR needs to have the game plan right for the target interaction model. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just doing stuff. Yeah. They're just running, a uh, running around like a chicken without a head. Um, and um, so time to take a step back to reconsider, think the target interaction model, refactor everything that we built, and then the future is extremely bright. And exciting as well. Yeah, super exciting. And super exciting. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've seen the growth of people analytics and clearly you can't do any of this fancy stuff around artificial intelligence without having good analytics to yeah. power it. Sure. So, so hopefully a good future for people analytics. Well. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Dirk, it's been wonderful to have you as a guest on the show. How can listeners stay in touch with you and stay in touch with Cruncher? Uh, well, we have a website. Uh, we speak at a lot of uh, meetups, uh, conferences. So uh, just ping us. Um, I do uh, frequent uh, you know, leadership meetings where just bring some inspiration uh, like yourself on, on the art of the possible. And then, um, well, things will follow. And on social media, where's the, be where's the best way for people to follow you? Is it, is it LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn, generally best. Uh, I still use a bit of Twitter, but uh, my Twitter name is quite easy, Data Dirk. Data Dirk, okay, <laughs> that's easy enough. And then LinkedIn as well, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Dirk, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks Thank very you for much. being a guest. Thank you. Thank you, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe by your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Bruce Daisley on what business leaders want from HR. So don't miss that one, and I'll see you next time.